College baseball fans, it's time for the D1 Baseball Podcast with Mike Rooney, Aaron Fitt, and Kendall Rogers. Let's win every podcast. Now, here's the pride of the Newtown Edgemont Little League, Coach Rooney. Hello and welcome to the 28 Minutes of Heaven we call the D1 Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Michael Patrick Rooney. Special edition, Coach conversation today Uh, as always the podcast brought to us by our friends at s2 cognition s2 cognition delivers a revolutionary approach to helping athletes understand how in-game decisions impact their performance from the youth levels all the way to the pros thanks again to our our buddies at s2 cognition um but before we get done with s2 i've been learning about their assessments lately I, i just i would anyone that's curious about you know how to hitters you know we see this all the time hitters with great swings great athletes can't hit it's because you know they're making bad decisions. They're they're swinging. They're what, what are they? They're swinging at the balls and they're taking the strikes. S two Cognition is one of the few companies out there that that I'm aware of that addresses that. Like, how do we get hitters better at swinging at the strikes and taking the ball? So anyway, I, I've I've really enjoyed that. Today I am joined by the great Kendall Rogers, the uh, TCU head coach Kirk Sarlos, and then the great Joe Healy. And we've got a lot of transplants here. We've got Los, you're a SoCal guy who lives in Fort Worth now. Joe, you're a Texan who lives on the East Coast. I don't, I'm like a Philly guy that lives in the desert. Kendall, you're like the only guy that's true to your roots on this call. Good, I'm the, good, only, good on I'm you, the only native Texan. I feel like Kirk is like converted, though. I feel like he's, he's from SoCal, but he's a Texan now. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I mean, I still am SoCal. I got my rainbow nice. flops on okay so i still i still am <laughs> true to my roots but yeah i would consider myself a are you are you still working on tj a little bit you know what he's slowly coming this way okay. in terms of being we took him we went yesterday as a staff um uh, to the shooting range oh that's so, that's, that's yeah shot some right skeet there. shot some handguns so there you go. Yeah, we got to get a little text in him. He he needs to get a, some cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Flip flops and a cowboy boots. That's great. Uh, boys, let's let's start with this. Let's go off baseball. Let's let's stay off baseball for a second. Uh, Coach Healy, you just came back from a cruise with your wife, which is awesome. Um, so here's the question for the four of us. And and Joe, you can either mention the cruise or you can go. Uh, you can go somewhere different. I want to know the best vacation you've taken in your adult life best vacation you've taken as an adult would you go with the cruise joe or would you go somewhere different i'd go actually with a with a previous cruise i went on with my wife we had just started we just started dating we actually weren't married at the time we just started dating and you know how it goes you're like you're dating someone and you're all like you're excited about it like everything seems so fresh and exciting you know before the monotony of life has, has really set in so it was a did a cruise that had stops in dominican and san juan puerto rico and um Turks and Caicos, like it was just a lot of like the best beaches you could ever ask for. Right. And so we just spent a lot of time out in the sun and, you know, getting that vitamin D and uh, frankly, drinking way too much. Um, but that's part of a cruise, I guess. Um, so you're you know, a cruiser. You, you, you're, you're like you could, you could cruise for life, Joe. Like you, my parents, you know, like my, my dad should have a blog. He's been on so many cruises. <laughs> you know, it's funny how that works, because that's not what I've really set out to do. We do plenty of other vacations, but it's just like. The convenience of those is hard to beat, honestly, because you don't have to do a lot of planning. You can book them pretty short notice because you don't have to prepare much. You're not buying flights. You're not renting a car. You're not doing really any of that stuff. And my dad's so, gotten to you, Joe. I saw you never met my dad, but he's you're speaking his 
you're, you're talking right at his hymnal right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my 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 sentimental choice too. I went to I, so I went to Disney when I was not quite an adult. This is like a but this is a sentimental answer. Like I, it was the quintessential family vacation, right? So I'm a lot older than my siblings. So we we I never really got the experience of going on a big family vacation with my siblings when we were all, you know, little, right? So when I was in my teens, you know, and they were six and four, I think. Um, we went to Disney World as a family and, and I was not the target demo for Disney at 15, 16 years old. That's just not your your thing at 16. But and it was, so it was one of those things that in the moment I didn't appreciate it. In hindsight, though, like that's really the big family vacation we had together that we could all enjoy and have fun. And there's just like a lot of good pictures and memories from that trip. And so right. that's my sentimental answer is, the, is that family vacation because it was really the only the only version of that that, that I got. Yeah, that's awesome. I'll get you my dad's blog. It's off of his flip phone. So it's yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> it's just good. a series of text messages yeah, that he sends right. you. That's really all it is. <laughs> he can't text message. My mom, if you want to text message, my mom has to answer for him. Los, what are you going with? Uh, I would say my honeymoon, Bora Bora. Ooh. Ooh that yeah, that was great. fun. That was good times. Is that like just crystal clear waters and like feels like you're not even on the planet Earth kind of deal? Yeah, exactly. And you have what, overwater kind of bungalows where oh you, yeah. those are look amazing it's pretty sick and it's like a glass bottom so like at night they have lights that go from there so you're you're in your room and you look down there's fish you know swimming around it was it was pretty sick I, that was probably awesome. for sure the best one man that's awesome kr what are you going with well i'm just going to give people some advice so in our honeymoon <laughs> we had a choice we had a choice we could have gone to the cook islands which is around bora bora same kind of feel or we could have gone to Jamaica. We did Jamaica. Don't do that, people. If you have the choice between Jamaica and the Cook Islands, do the Cook Islands. Uh, do the Pacific. But uh, I'll, I'll go with uh, St. John. We went there for the second time. We went two years ago, my wife and I. We brought. We took the kids this last time. My wife thought I might have been a little crazy, wanting to take all the kids on a, on a long Caribbean vacation like that. But they did great. And just to give you an idea – I was sitting on a beach. Uh, you remember when like Marshall coach Jeff Wagner like stepped down? Mm. I'm like sitting on a beach and like my Wi-Fi is real spotty, but I sat there like typing a story on my phone while sitting at the beach in St. John. So I, I don't stop working when I'm vacation rooms. No, Martha never sleeps. There's no question <laughs> about that. That's awesome. I, my wife will listen to the, like if my, if Jenny and I are driving down to Phoenix, which is two hours, sometimes we'll listen to the podcast and if she listened to this podcast, this is, I'm going to get dinged for this, but if I'm being a hundred percent honest, my favorite vacation every year, it's very quick is mm -hmm. I will go visit my parents at the Jersey shore, Sea Isle city, New Jersey. Uh, my parents yeah. have been going there every summer for two weeks since 1979. Um, and it's like, they put a chip in your neck. It's so like blue collar. And when I say blue collar, I don't mean that as a compliment in this vein, like just, it's a budget vacation. It's just like Seattle city. I love it. Um, but it's like, it's not like Bora Bora and Seattle city should never be spoken in the same way. <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah, there's no, <laughs> but uh, I I'm, love a, it. I'm a little scared by the fact they put a chip in your neck. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, if they might, that's, what, <laughs> that's what Jenny thinks because she's like, there's no way she's like, it smells. I'm like, it smells like fun. It smells like no stress. It smells like festive. Like, what are you talking about? Of course it smells. Uh, just sitting on a deck, looking at the Atlantic Ocean with, with friends and family, having a beverage. It's like, oh, it's heaven on earth. There That's you awesome. go. So, go birds. 
There you go. Go birds. Wawa, Wawa for lunch. Thank you. All right. So let's talk baseball. Let, yeah. Let's get into this. So, so Los, I want to ask you a Cal State Fullerton question, and then we'll go around the horn. At the mm-hmm. end, for the four of us, I've got a topic that I want to uh, we'll handle as a group. But let's go around the horn a couple of times. So, Los, my question for you is, you've been part of two great runs. Like, your, your guys run when you were a player at Fullerton, even when you were a coach at Fullerton, but I'm more focused on when you were a player. You know, you went to Omaha twice, if memory serves, as a player. Um, and then, you know, you've been assistant coach at TCU four straight Omaha's, which is just kind of ridiculous, right? Like four straight regionals is really hard in today's college baseball. But my, my question for you is why, why were you guys so good at Fullerton in that era? Like in that George Horton era, why were you guys so good? And then is there anything about that that applies to what you're trying to build at TCU? Sure. First things first, is that a night? What is that? Cal, is that Cal State? 79. That's a 79 team. Yeah. That's yeah, Augie. Tim Wallach, first title. Look yep. at Tim Wallach's face. It's like deadpan. We just won the World Series. He could not be more like, who cares? We just won. Deadpan. That's How his personality, right? Well, because I know that picture. You know, oh, when you go yeah. to Cal State Fullerton, <laughs> it's ingrained in your head. Like 79, what, 84, 84. 95, and 04. Like, you know yeah. the World Series pictures. They're up. And, yeah, I've seen that picture a million times. So I saw it over, over your shoulder, and I'm like, holy smokes, that's the – Cal State Fullerton 79 championship team. That is them. Yep. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, back to your question um, for sure. I think the big thing that back in my Fullerton days was we were not going to be outworked. Mm. You know, Coach Horton, Coach Vanderhook, Coach Serrano, you know, we were going to be the most probably well-coached team in the country. So no matter who we played, we always felt like we had the X factor in terms of our coaching staff that was going to prepare us. And so, you know, and you, and you, then you talk about the four college world series teams here at, at TCU. And it's like, you look back and you're like, wow, that's, that's in the midst of it. You're like, this is just what we do. But now as you look back, it's like, wow, that's, that's pretty special stuff. And I think now being a head coach, being able to take those, um, times when I was back at Cal State Fullerton and then my time here at TCU and going to four straight World Series, it's kind of trying to put both of those together. And then to try to have kind of the toughness and the grit of that Cal State Fullerton, those Cal State Fullerton teams when I played there. And then the, you know, just the will to win when I was here as an assistant coach in four straight college World Series and kind of put those together. You know, we want to be kind of, you know, blue collar, white collar approach, but blue collar work ethic, you know, and I think that's the big thing that we're going to be, we're going to try and be like everybody, the well, the best coach team, but also really talented and then put together that with some grit. And, and we're looking to hopefully go on a, on a run here and get to some college world series and hopefully win a national championship. Yeah, Lewis, I'm going to kind of go back to the, the kind of the MLB playoffs right now. Last night, the Astros get the no-hitter with the combined no-hitter. And obviously, I know Joe and I know, I don't know if Ruiz knows about this, but, you know, you were a part of that no that combined no-hitter at Yankee Stadium back in, what was it, 03? With, with Roy O on the mound? 2004, I think. Maybe it was 03. Yeah. I don't know. Joe, you yeah, know? I, mean, I remember that like it was yesterday. But, uh, you know, just, just kind of looking, you know, from afar, you know, you're watching, you know, the Astros get the no-hitter last night with a combined no-hitter. 
how do you, as a coach, like how do you mold that kind of experience along with being in the AL Championship Series with athletics? How do you mold those experiences as players into your coaching and into your teaching, you know, in the locker room? Like how do you how do you take those experiences and kind of put those upon those guys? Well, I think a lot of it comes down to understanding what it takes to play at the highest level and then hold our guys accountable to, you know, hey, you chose to, to play at TCU and the standard is the standard. And so uh, for them to understand, you know, college baseball is um, one thing and we're trying to get these guys prepared to pitch in the big leagues or play in the big leagues. And for our guys to understand that, hey, for you guys to be able to do that, it takes a ton of dedication, a ton of hard work. There, there are no office hours at the baseball field. Like if you want to get and become your ultimate best, you know, obviously we have to be within our time frame. But in terms of coming and hitting on their own and and um, being around the baseball field, you know, it takes what it takes to be the best you can be. You know, and and playing with some of the best players in the world during my time in Oakland and and Houston you really learn what it takes in terms of to be an elite player at the big league level, you know? And, and so just trying to impress upon our guys that, it, I mean, it takes what it takes. Like if you want to be great, you got to put the work in. Who was the toughest hitter you face as a pitcher? Anybody that was left-handed. <laughs> left-handers <laughs> rake me. Um, you got to give me a top three. Give me a top, give me a top. Well, three. I mean, the first guy that comes to my mind you know, probably because he had two homers in, in one game off me was Griff, <laughs> the crime dog. The crime oh, yeah. dog. Crime dog. I tried to go sink her away. He jumped ship to dead center at Wrigley. And then I'm like, <laughs> okay, now I'm going to throw a cutter in. Because he stands like nine feet off the plate. And has like a size, probably 37-inch bat. So the first time, like I said, I went sink her away. He went dead center. So now I'm like, I got to crowd this guy. So I threw a cutter in and then he helicoptered me into into the right field whatever that street is behind right field so fred mcgriff um shoot who else jim tome jim thome as i like to call him like (laughs) anytime that you can like stay on baseballs and like go the opposite way and hit homers you know like i i I feasted off guys that wanted to get pull happy you know because i didn't throw but 90 miles an hour so i was always going to pitch backwards but those lefties that could stay on baseballs and drive them the other way and, you know, yeah. leave the facility the other way gave me trouble. So Fred McGriff, Jim Tomei, um, you know, guys like that. Well, Vladimir Guerrero went like probably the longest homer ever upper deck in, uh, in Oakland, which at the time, I don't think anybody had seen a, a home run to the second deck down the left field line. And it was like rocket. Like people were diving out of the way. <laughs> That's funny. That's assuming there were people up there uh, sitting up there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, I was about to say that. Hey, yeah. oh, it's my exactly. little joke there. <laughs> uh, I did. Conf- I did confirm uh, 2003 on the no hitter. Yeah. Uh, I read a little quick ESPN recap that made a note yeah. that uh, the Yankees fans also booed Jeff Weaver on that day. So shout out to the Yankees. Was fans it? Was it Chris Jeff Burke Weaver on that team on. too? Um, he was. He hadn't been called up quite yet. I think next oh, okay. year was his first year. Yeah, so Jeff I, I was going to was our second baseman and he literally we finished the game and he literally had no idea that we just threw a no-hitter. He's like, "Why is everybody so happy? That's just another win." And 
And I think Vigio was like, uh, Jeff, we just threw no, no hitter. He was like, oh, cool. No yeah. idea. Well, that's part of that's part of the thing too, is that I mean, combined no hitters happen, I don't want to say commonly, but fairly commonly now. But the idea of a combined no hitter in two thousand three was kind of strange, right? Yeah. Just because and there was extenuating circumstances in this the, this situation, you know, a short start for for Roy Oswald. So like, you know, but it I think I was I remember watching that game and I don't really know that I realized it until really late what was actually happening right. just because it was it was not, you know. Anyway, I, I was gonna say quickly, do you remember We've, we said Roy Oswald. Do you remember who the four other relievers who threw in that game? Oh, were? yeah. It went Roy Oswald, Pete Monroe from yeah. the Northeast, Pat, Michael Patrick Rooney. Yeah. He's from That's New very York. East. That's got New York written all over it. Yeah, Pete Monroe. He actually taught me taught me my cutter. No way. Yeah, so I was I was a sinker, slider, changeup guy, and big league balls are way different than minor league baseballs. And so I couldn't really – there's no seams. So I kind of abandoned my slider and went to the cutter, and that was because of Pete Monroe, who he learned it from Roy Holiday when he was with, I think, the Phillies. So um, so Oswald, Monroe, then me, then then it got to the good the good pitchers. It was uh, <laughs> Lidge, Dotel, Wagner. Oh, that's like, a pretty good trio. Yeah, well, and yeah. the crazy thing is, is um, um, so Brad Lidge through the sixth, I, no, I think it was the sixth, maybe the seventh, but Dotel struck out four guys in one inning, mm. which is crazy. And then, so the other cool story about that is usually, you know, in a combined no hitter, it's like the scores discretion in terms of who's going to get the win. And I was like, I pitched the fifth inning. So I'm like, dude, I'm going to get the win. This is awesome. And, <laughs> and so luckily enough, I didn't get the win because they took a bunch of different paraphernalia to put in the uh, hall of fame. And they wanted the winning pitcher's hat, which it was, they gave it to Brad Lidge. My hat was full of pine tar and a bunch of different um, substances. So good thing that my hat is not in the, in the hall of fame because they would have known that I was basically a cheater. Los, I'm kind of curious. The Astros pitchers were talking last night about, Oh, we, we weren't paying attention to, you know, the fact they hadn't had a hit. I mean, as, as a pitcher, like, do you, like, should we really believe that? Like, no. do those guys really not notice that? I think when it becomes a kind of a combined no hitter, yeah. I think you kind of maybe that, that, that holds some, some truth, but I think if it's a starting pitcher and it's only one or maybe two, like, you know, like, how can you not? Right. But I think when it's so many different guys, you kind of get lost in it, especially, I mean, in a world series, I mean, that's, you know, that's probably taking a back seat because you're trying to just get a W, you know, and you probably don't really recognize that. But, yeah, I don't I don't really believe people when they say, oh, yeah, I didn't know I, did. I had a no hitter until the, the last out. I'm like, yeah, right. Everybody knows. <laughs> right? Like, I haven't given up a hit. Everybody knows that. Yeah. The Phillies fans are yelling at you that you have a no hitter going. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> So let's uh, let's move forward and talk a little bit. Little TCU baseball. Why uh, why not? We'd be remiss if we uh, <laughs> we didn't talk a little yeah. TCU while we got you. Um, you know, you, you you took over kind of at an interesting time. I feel like just because y'all's roster, as much as any power conference team, I think over the last couple of years, just had a bunch of guys who feel like they've been there forever, yeah. right? And so the last two off seasons, you've kind of had some attrition there. So what has been the nature kind of of your first couple of falls in the job in terms of level of competitiveness, understanding 
not only do we need to find productive players to fill in these roles, but also there's, there's more than likely a little bit of a leadership vacuum given some of the veterans you've had leave. Yeah. Great question. Cause that's exactly what it is. I mean, you know, my, what was it? Two years ago when I was still an assistant coach, we had, like you said, we had probably six guys that were in their super senior year and were 24 years of age, you know, so guys that have been around the block that have had, you know, probably five, six, seven, hundred at bats, you know, and when those guys left, which was last year, it becomes, you know, some, some roster, roster attrition and trying to figure out who the leaders are. And then same thing this year, we have 22 new players. So that has been the big thing. And it could be, I think it could be good because now all of a sudden um, you can kind of set the tone in terms of what you want going forward to be able to, you know, have guys step up and be leaders, but also not change the culture, but have the culture be what you want as, as the head coach. And I think now, you know, our freshman class, this was the first freshman class since COVID to be on campus for summer school. And I've noticed a huge change in terms of the togetherness, the, the, the um, camaraderie with our team, just because these freshmen feel like they were on campus for about a month and got, you know, got to be pretty close with one another. And then they really, they just kind of seamlessly transitioned with the older players. And next thing you know, it's a really close group. And I think that has a lot to do with because they were here for summer school and felt like they were part of the program before the program started, you know, in August with the regular regular uh, calendar year. Love it. Hey, boys, before we go round two, I just want to um, I want to give a shout out to the ABCA. That's a new partnership for us at D1 Baseball that we are just absolutely thrilled about. You know, coaches, I'm sure you're aware of it. Any coaches that are listening, the annual convention for the ABCA is coming up. It's January 5th through the 8th, 2023 at the Gaylord Opryland in Nashville. It's the biggest and best baseball weekend of the year. I'm going to go off script now and just say, any coach listening, if you have not signed up yet, like push pause, go do that. Christmas is coming up. Again, you know, we've all been there, high school coach, junior college coach, volunteer coach. It's it's not a free trip, but it's you got to make it happen. Just borrow money, do whatever you got to do. It is so worth it. The investment that that you will be able to bring back to your team as a better coach, the investment in your career, the networking, all those types of things. It is uh, it's literally you could argue it's the best baseball weekend of the year. So I want to encourage everyone, if you've kind of already mentally said, I don't think I can do it financially. Like, let's flip that mindset and figure it out. It's it'll be the best change your mind of, of your baseball life. So again, really appreciate our, our buddies at the ABCA and thrilled to have that partnership. So um, there you go. We, we will all be in Nashville too, by the way. KR, you, why don't you uh, take lead us off for round two here? Yeah, I'm kind of diving into coaching a little bit. You know, Kirk, when I talk to like young coaches, he'll email me a lot, mainly like a lot of volunteers, like, hey, like, how, how you know, how do I advance in coaching or like, you know, how to become a head coach, I guess, from your perspective as a guy who obviously was an ultra successful assistant for so long, uh, took over the head coaching job there at TCU. Like, what is like maybe the one thing when you became a head coach that maybe surprised you a little bit? And what is kind of maybe your advice for young coaches that are looking for like the pathway to become a head coach? Because, you know, there, there are so many elements to college baseball now that weren't present a decade ago. I mean, there's, there's NIL, 
Uh, you're you're managing egos, like you're you're a CEO essentially managing egos in a company. Uh, it's a lot different than it was a decade ago. Yeah, for sure. I th- I'll tackle the fir- uh, the second question first. I think sure. um, really it's networking, you know, and it's it's in my opinion it's about it's not trying to find the next job. You know, I think a lot of times this job this this profession can be okay. Well, that. I'm going to go there and then go here and then go there. I think a lot of times, um, you know, having some consistency and having some stability at a place, I think helps you out as opposed to kind of being the guy that bounces around all the time. Um, you know, and, and then in terms of like networking, I think going to the ABCA, I think that's a huge deal because you get a, you get to meet a lot of different people from a lot of different programs. Um, out on the recruiting trail, being able just to talk to different uh, people from different programs and understand and just basically kind of getting your name out there in terms of, you know, obviously there's no substitute for hard work, you know, and I think, you know, that's that's one of the big things in terms of like the recruiting portion of it. It's such a major part of being a coach and a college coach that, you know, if you're if you're known for being a hard worker on the recruiting trail, you're going to get doors open to you that a lot of people wouldn't, you know, just because um, of what you do on the recruiting trail and evaluating talent. So it's kind of all encompassing, you know, and I think there's, like I said, there's no substitute for hard work. And I think the harder you work, the luckier you, luckier you get. And um, on, in terms of the other question, as a head coach, man, there's there's a lot of things that I learned. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing when you think you're prepared. It's another thing when you actually sit in the head coach's chair. And for me, the biggest probably eye opener was 95% of this job has nothing to do with being down on that field. You know, it's basically like you talked about, it's about, um, you know, holding our players accountable. It's about academics. It's about, you know, donors. It's about promoting the program. It's all those things. And then the last 5% is out there on the baseball field. So, (laughs) You know, I think that was probably the biggest learn thing that I learned was how much time that you spend in here as a head coach. You know, a lot of people and myself included, it's okay, head coach, write the lineup, make pitching changes. That's what I do. Well, most of it is that's that's really like I said, five percent of it. Ninety-five percent of it is all the other stuff. You're you're shaking hands and kissing babies. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Speaking of head coaches, you uh, added TJ Bruce to your coaching staff and a guy who had a lot of success out at Nevada as a, as a head coach. And, um, you know, for, what does he bring to the table, not just as an individual and with his his own coaching acumen, but also just having basically a second head coach in the dugout, yeah. someone who sat in your seat and be able to give you a second set of eyes in that way. Yeah, he's been awesome. You know, I, I've known TJ actually, actually since I was 14 years old. Um, I played with his cousin, Joe Herka, uh, for the Pico Rivera Dodgers back in the day. So it's kind of, you know, now all these summer, summer teams, this was like the, the best summer team in Southern California for a while. And so, um, I played with his cousin and TJ was probably three years younger, I think than us. And he was kind of like the kid that was in the dugout, bat boy running around, just wanted to be, you know, next to the older kids. And so that's where I first met TJ. And then being in, you know, at Cal State Fullerton and him being at UCLA, we got to know each other, you know, obviously even more. And then um, we've always 
you know, kept in con, you know, in contact uh, when he was at Nevada and when, when I was here. And so when that, when coach Mo took the job at Ohio state, he kind of, you know, he said, he sent, sent me a text and said, Hey, I'm ready. And so next thing you know, hiring him and then bringing him here. The cool thing is I've been around Mo for 10 years. So really in my coaching kind of career, the only thing that I knew was really coach Moziello, you know, in terms of the offensive side of things. And so now to have coach Bruce come in with some new ideas and, and some different thoughts, but still very similar to coach Mo, but says it in a different way, does it in, in a different way, has new ideas. It's been a lot of fun just because, um, you know, it's, it's, it's new for me as well. And it's new for our players and you can see now that our players have kind of gotten grasp of what he's doing, you know, the last two weeks have been phenomenal in practice because um, he's pushing buttons and they're executing, you know, and I think it, the cool thing is, is having him and a head coach and we kind of talk about different things um, as a head coach. And his main thing, like he told me, was like, hey, I know what it's like to be in that chair. And if I can do anything for you in terms of taking some of those responsibilities away and helping you out, that's what I'm here to do. And so he's just been a, 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 a awesome. amazing resource for me, um, you know, in a short time here. Love it. Hey, Los, I want to ask you about two hitters. So Braden Taylor is he's a good one player. Of the best. Yeah, he's a good, good hitter. Good player. So, so, and then the other player I want to ask you about is David Bishop. Yep. Who just, so Braden Taylor's fascinating to me because, you know, I've never spoken to the person but he seems really quiet. Like he's just this great player who his game is loud, but he, yeah. I don't know, like he, it's, it, it, he, it, I, I'm curious to get your take on him. And then David Bishop seems to me like if you made me like make a wager on future star, I don't know. He just seems big and loose and like there's bat speed. Um, but again, I, I feel like I don't know those two <laughs> players as well as you would normally know, like that level of talent. Tell us yeah. about those two kids. You're right on the money with Braden. You know, it's 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 quiet, but don't mistake quietness for not being competitive. Like he's one of the most competitive players on our team. And when the big moment arrive, you know, comes, he's he's just, you know, foaming at the mouth to be there for it. And uh, but every once in a while, you'll kind of see him, you know, kind of get after it a little bit where it's like he has that in him. But for the most part. He's kind of like this, you know, and I think it helps him in terms of being a great hitter, you know, cause he's kind of just consistent uh, personality wise. And, uh, but when the moment comes, it's never too big for him, you know, and like he's single-handedly, we had game two of our purple white world series yesterday. He was playing short and he had a couple hits, but he's single-handedly on defense. He made three plays that the only other people that I you know, see, make those plays are the guys that are playing in the world series on TV, you know, with the Astros, with Pena or, or with the Phillies. I mean, he's up the middle twice in the six hole another time and had plenty of arm to get it done. So, I mean, it was pretty special. So, um, but you're right on awesome kid. And then David Bishop, you know, he had a, he was in our four hole from day one as a freshman last year. And he had a great start to his season. Then he got hit by 96 on his hand and really never recovered. You know, he had a tough second half of the season. And so far this, this fall, he's put on probably 20 pounds. Like he looks, he's, he's, he looks like what it's supposed to look like now. 
you know, very physical, um, very strong. And I'm excited for him to have a, a great season. You know, his big deal is laying off pitches out of the zone, like anybody. All great hitters lay off pitches out of the zone. You know, the best hitters swing at strikes and take the balls. So I think that's his big probably learning curve is making sure that we're swinging at strikes. When he swings at strikes, it's pretty loud. Yep. Taylor, what, what will he play short, Low, Sorry, Kerr. Yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah he's, he's moving to short. Well, is he going to play short or can he play short? Interesting. You could answer both questions if you care to. Yeah, just, just give us some more scoop. Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is, is, you know, we have, you know, Anthony Silva's a very, you know, high-end talent for us that we're really looking for him to, you know, he's a freshman. We're really looking for him to play um, shortstop. You know, Braden plays such a good third base. You know, I think, is there some times when maybe we do some different things? Yeah. You know, but for the most part, he'll probably start at third base. You know, he'll, mm-hmm. he'll, he'll be at third, but man, it's, it's pretty tough when you watch what he did yesterday to, to think, you know, how's this guy? Not, I mean, how's this guy not playing shortstop? You know, but we're trying to figure out the best nine, and we're still figuring it out. It. Runes, by the way, I'm not going to let you uh, become the leader of the Braden Taylor fan club. That's me. That is you. That's true. Uh, I've been on that guy since day one. But uh, he he was special in the College Station Regional last year. He made the what was it? The great play in the line drive at third. Yeah. Hit what two or three home runs in that regional. Uh, Lowe's, who was maybe like a, a big leaguer that you played with that he kind of reminds you of? I think on the collegiate level, personality-wise and looks-wise, he kind of reminds me of Heston Kirstad when he was at Arkansas. Yeah. But uh, who does he remind you of big league-wise? Great. Good question. I would say kind of in terms of your your Kirstad, I would kind of mix him with um, Brandon Shoemake. You know, from oh, yeah, that's a great comp from A and M. Oh yeah, that like that. Yeah, call. both both him and Kirstow were both kind of quiet but ultra competitive. Yeah, and kind of as I would say with Shoemaker, it's very similar in terms of his swing as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very flat. Um, I think probably Brayden has a little bit more. You know, I think Shoemaker was a little bit more left center, kind of that. Yeah. You know, stroke where Brayden runs into baseballs and hits him out of the ballpark to the pole side, but. From a professional standpoint, yeah, I might have to come back to that one. You kind of put me on the spot. Those are those are two pretty good comps, though. Yeah, yeah I mean, those are high-level college players that are now going to make their way to the big leagues probably yeah. in the next year or so. Yeah, Kerstad's raking in the fall league, which is super cool to see, given Absolutely. the injuries that he's suffered. All right, boys, let's wrap with this. So the four of us are the commissionership of college baseball for this for the next ten minutes. We, we have, uh, you know, we, we hold the remote control. Now, I'm going to force us into a topic. We're going to talk about the postseason. And I'm going to throw my cards out there first, and then you guys have the right to agree, disagree, you know, swerve us in different directions. So I would like to see us expand the postseason in college baseball. I would like to see us go to 72 teams. I would also like us to go to the 32-host model where everything's a three-game series. Um, you know, the issues with that are it's an extra week of the season. I, I get that. That's a real thing. That's not a that's not a um, I, I still would like to do it, but I, I don't want to belittle that objection. That's a, that's a that's a real thing. You make a long postseason a little bit longer. I think that's a good thing. My reason for wanting to expand the postseason, though, is if you look at pro sports and if even if you look at business, the principle is you take your best property and you expand it. That's how you grow an enterprise. And, and you know, right now for, the, for college baseball, 64 out of 305 teams make our tournament. That's 21% of our teams. If you look at the major sports, the NFL, it's like 44%. 
over twice the number of teams as us. MLB is 40%, literally twice. So anyway, I like the idea of 72 teams, the top eight seeds get a playing game before they play their three-game series, a playing game on Thursday night. So that gives them an advantage. Here's my concern if we expand to 72 and don't do 32 hosts. Now you could be asking a team to play six games in five days the week after their conference tournament. And the pitching there just seems like an absolute car wreck. Like it just, that feels completely untenable to me. So anyway, uh, Joe, let's have you go first. Los, you're going to be our closer on this. Joe, you're going to go first. So what, what do we, hey, and by the way, our postseason is really good right now. I don't want to, I don't want to disregard that point either. Like you are, I'm asking us to fix something that not only it's not broken, it's thriving. So, so what say you on the postseason, Joe? Well, you know, feel free to boo me for this answer like the Yankees fans booed Jeff Weaver on that day in 2003. But I'm less concerned about the how. Or, I'm sorry, let me put it. I'm less concerned about the logistics of like expanding or what ha- or keeping it as is and more about the how do we arrive there. Mm. Just because what I don't want to see happen is um, the regular season become uh, more meaningless, right? And I'm not saying sure. it's meaningless now, but becoming increasingly meaningless. And this is a debate we're having in college football now, right? I mean, they're going to 12 teams and there's like, well, every week is a playoff in college football. And the counter argument is like, well, yes, but if you lose a game in October, you're pretty much done as far as a national title contention goes, right? So like, you know, college baseball is in a different place. Now we saw last year with Ole Miss that, hey, they lose literally lose one more game and they are not getting in, right? I mean, they had zero margin for error. And there was a good argument to make to be made that I didn't necessarily agree with it, but that they didn't deserve to be in, right? It, reasonable people could make that argument and look what they sure. did, right? So college baseball is just in a different place. Um, but what I don't want to see is the regular season get to a point where you may remember softball a few years ago, and I'm not an expert on, on college softball. Great product, though. Fun to watch. Um every SEC school got into the NCAA tournament and maybe they were all deserving. I don't know. Like I really don't, but I mean, okay. So the regular season really didn't, it was, I was, they were determining seating in the SEC that season in college softball. So I don't want it to be some version of that. Even if those might be 14 of the most talented teams in, in college baseball, like I don't want to see it become that now I will give you a real answer now because you deserve a good question deserves a, a thought out answer. I'm with you on, th- I would do 32 hosts. I think I'd keep it where it is. Um, I want to maintain access for the best, uh, the automatic bids. Like that's, to me, that's like non-negotiable. And the NCAA basketball tournament is is dealing with that kind of thing too. I don't want to lose automatic access for, for all conferences. You win the auto bid, great, you move on. Um, I would keep it where it is, but I would do 32 hosts. I, I've I've grown on this. Like as as time has gone on, I used to be a purist. Like I love the chaos of regional weekend, and don't get me wrong, it's it's fun as all get out, right? Who didn't who didn't love watching Arkansas and Oklahoma State just kind of like be a heavyweight prize fight last sure. last year in regionals, right? That was just a lot of fun to kind of watch play out. But you get to the end of regional weekend, and and especially when you go to Mondays, those games just don't resemble anything like what college baseball looks like at its best. Like, let's just, let's call a spade a spade. Let's call it what it is. And coaches are having to make really hard decisions and we don't need to tell coach Sarlos about that. I mean, they're having to make really tough decisions about what they do on the mound, especially when you get to those games and you're balancing long-term health of a kid with winning a, a very important game. And I, I just, 
I just don't want to have to put anybody in those kind of positions if we don't have to. And so I, I I'm with going to 32 hosts. I also think it's good for college baseball. Hey, let's, let's have some places that don't host under the current format, uh, get an opportunity to do that. Let's show their fans what high level college baseball in the postseason looks like, because I think we could, we could hook a lot of casual fans into becoming bigger fans of college baseball. So if you're holding my feet to the fire, let's keep it 64, but let's do 32 hosts. Let's play the same format in the postseason that we play during the regular season. And we could more or less do that. Omaha gets a little different. I get it, but we could mostly yeah. play two out of three throughout the entirety of, of the postseason. So if again, you're holding my feet to the fire. That's where I'm going to go. But ultimately I'm less concerned with, with that and just more concerned with how do we kind of, um, continue to make the postseason the best of the best in the teams that really have a chance to win a national title. I love it. KR, what say you? Well, that was a really thought out answer. Uh, um, yeah, this is not going to be as well thought out, but it's going to be very direct. Uh, I, I'm for expanding teams of the tournament. Uh, you know, if you look at the last five years in the NCAA tournament, you've had three teams that, are, that were one of the last five teams in make it to Omaha. You had Michigan in 19, you had AM in 17, and you had Ole Miss last year win the national championship. So, two of those three teams, either played or won a national championship. So I think when you have a tournament where the la one of the last five teams is doing that and they had a tough time even coming to the conclusion that those five teams should even be in the tournament, that tells me there's a lot of depth. And so I, I do feel like in college baseball, I don't know if you guys disagree with me here, but I do feel like in college baseball, if you go from 64 to 72, you can legitimately look at those teams and go, you know what, I think they have a really good, really good like pitch to be in. I do think when you get past that number – you're looking at teams that are like, you know what, they don't really have any business being in. Like, I feel like there's a pretty big drop-off when you get to 70 and 72, so I do like going to that. And I actually, I'm with Joe. I like the idea of going to a three-game series throughout, you know, whether it's all, all the Super Regionals, you know, Kirk and the Frogs have with A&M and so on. Like, when you experience the three-game series, I want one team's best against the other team's best. I do not want a situation where, you know, Kirk and a regional – is out of pitching because he used everybody on Saturday and all of a sudden he's playing like an elimination game or another team's playing an elimination game and they're out of pitching. Like that to me, that is not like the the 100% determinant on who the better team is. I think when you line up, play a three-game series, that's who the best team is. And I, I would like to see the tournament do that. And again, when we're sitting over here as talking heads saying – these these athletic directors need to need to fund baseball more. We want more scholarships. We want more coaches. Well, what's the best way to tell an athletic director in the north or in the northeast or the Pacific Northwest to invest more money or to fight to invest more money in college baseball? It's to create a product that's more marketable. And how do you make it more marketable? You can actually go out there and sell people on hey. Indiana State's going to host a regional. They're going to host the mm -hmm. first round of a regional, which they would have done two years ago. So uh, I, I'm all for that as well. Los, what say you? Well, I mean, I'm just going to echo what, what those two just said. You know, the czar of bracketology, Kendall <laughs> Rogers, who says after, what is it, after 72, it's pretty pretty cut and dry. I feel like after 72, there's a pretty big drop. Like, I feel like yeah. after the seven, even the 70 mark, sure. those next six teams, I feel like there's a pretty big drop off. Yeah, those resumes yeah. are dinged. Yeah. I always feel like those bubble teams, whether no matter what sport it is, like right now, the bubble teams yeah. of like the first college football playoff ranking came out, and, you know, my, my Horn Frogs are at seven. Um, so I always feel like there's always, my question is, is when it gets to 12 for football, now is it going to be an argument for, team 13, 14, 15, you know, it always seems like 
that yeah. bubble line is always, you know, the the question mark. And I think including more teams, I think is great. I'm a huge fan of making 32 hosts or whatever it would be with 72. Um, in terms of the more, like you look, you look right now with the World Series, you know, like people love playoff baseball. Mm. Yeah. And if we can get playoff baseball on campuses, more campuses around the country, and especially campuses that don't usually have it, I think makes a huge difference in terms of the the health of the sport and people being invested in it. All of a sudden now, hey, remember that playoff game? Remember that that regional that we yeah. went to? If I'm an Indiana State Sycamore fan, right? All of a sudden now, like maybe we 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 do go to those, you know, March and April games because of how much fun we had in in June. And so um, the more places that we can have host playoff baseball, I think is absolutely a no-brainer for this sport. You know, I think, and a lot of times with hosts, and it's it's mostly about, well, can they, is there enough bathrooms? Is, is there enough, um, you know, uh, seating? Is there, do they have lights? I think, I think you kind of throw that out the window, and you saw Maryland this last year. I mean, talk That's about awesome. an awesome environment yeah. of, of college baseball. Why can't that yeah. be at, at more places around the country and figure out, pack the place in and bring in stands, bring in porta potties? Who cares? You mm -hmm. know, let's get more baseball and playoff baseball around the country on campus. Well, here's you the know. other thing, too, is like, when, when should there ever be a situation where the Big 12 champion is on the road at a rival in a region? Well, that was your fault, Kendall. <laughs> you the, that was not my fault. You were all the projections. You just love the fact that, hey, let's have this TCU. A and no. again. You love that. You literally. I actually love that. came out. I actually came out saying that TCU should be hosting even no, with our, every projection you had TCU on the road at A and M, and then the, 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 the committee looks at your. At Dude, your I'm just giving the people anyway. what they it's want. It's your fault, Kendall. You just, <laughs> you I'm were just giving the people what they want. Like Mr. Birds, <laughs> he really was. That that we do need to confirm. Oh, we man. we need to confirm that in the in the room, the the selection committee has the nerd cast playing in the background. That yeah. feels factual. Absolutely that... factual. <laughs> but I, but I feel imagine? like more often than not, they're trying to avoid what we're what we're trying to push onto them. Oh, so great! By the way, this it's another great time. Mike Buddy, uh, John, so John Cohen will be the selection chair this year. But Mike Buddy, man, that was like an all time great press conference and mike buddy's a baseball guy pitched in the big leagues yeah. awesome dude but man he it, it, one of the toughest fields to put together in history and he man his his he, he handled that beautifully good good job coach buddy so gotta love it los this was awesome really love really it. appreciate the time Thanks, yeah los. hey boys before we say goodbye to the listeners um tons of great stuff on the website right now this is my favorite time of the year on the website because of fall reports it's the perfect way to kind of whet your appetite for next year uh if you don't have a subscription want to encourage you to do so you just uh, when you get on there type in fall 22 at checkout fall 22 you get 20 percent off uh good luck to the frogs the rest of the fall tell uh coach bruce and everyone else we said hello and and again we we appreciate that this. this is uh we're, we're looking forward to seeing uh, seeing you with all your continued success at TCU. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it.